nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm absolutely delighted to have you with me this morning. And thank you so much for joining us on TT Radio this morning. Um, so this morning, we are going to be talking about behaviour management. And we're also going to be hopefully joined a little bit later by Nikki Cunningham-Smith, who we had the first part of our interview with last week. So hopefully Nikki is going to be calling in and joining us a little bit later. Today, it is Thursday. It's the 14th of October. And this is The Breakfast Show, brought to you by me, Lizzie Swan, live from Suffolk. I like to say today we are absolutely joined by some beautiful sunshine, but it's a little bit dark. So start off today by telling me who you are and where you're calling from. We are often joined by some callers from across the world, and we love to hear your views. Today, we're talking about behaviour management. Along with workload, behaviour management is one of the key reasons why so many teachers, teaching assistants and central staff do sadly leave the teaching profession. It's one of the most emotive topics for teachers and all staff in schools. It's one of the most polarising topics, yet it's also one of the topics that many staff feel that they receive the least training in, particularly at the start of their careers. It can also be one of the topics that can be something that staff feel that they receive the least parity on in terms of their training. So please do, in the chat, call in, text in, tell us your experiences of training in your early career. Tell us, have you received training or advice or guidance based on your gender, because this is a topic that we really have focused on in our conversation with Nikki Cunningham-Smith, particularly around experiences a woman teacher or experience based on your gender. There's been a great debate already this morning on Twitter based around teachers who have female qualities and whether or not they have been given advice or guidance based around that. We're really, really keen to hear from you this morning. Have you had any experiences? And a little later this morning, we'll be listening to the news in your area. And we'll also be hearing some messages from our sponsors. So to begin with this morning, let's start by hearing a little bit from our listeners over on Twitter. So some of the conversations that we've had on Twitter so far um, are around experiences that people have received around um, discussions around gender. So some of the brave, brave messages that have been shared already this morning. Um, Holly has shared that at the inner city, inner city school that she was trained at, she was given behavior management advice based on the accepted assumption that key stage four boys would receive her in a certain way due to being, as she says back then, now I would like to say definitely still now, but being back then young and pretty 
as a young and pretty female teacher. Now, according to Holly, the boys' attitudes were rarely called into account. But the advice and guidance that was given to Holly as a female teacher was that she would be received in a way. So the behaviour management focus was very much around her physical appearance as opposed to a focus on the boys' behaviour and attitudes and certainly no discussion around policy, process and any sort of embedded culture, climate around supporting behaviour management. And certainly the concern there would be around actually that creates a climate of toxic masculinity, which so much of the time, that's something that we are actually trying to combat. More conversations actually this morning have been coming in. So let's go and have a look at those, that live chat that's happening over on Twitter, which is around, let's have a look here. So that's around conversations that are happening where, um, let's see from uh, Matt this morning sharing over on Twitter, that actually they were said, a teaching assistant in Matt's lesson said that actually um, surprised that behaviour management was good because actually teachers with female qualities tend to struggle in lessons. And again, let's have a look over on Twitter again, because we encourage you, please do call in, text in live to the show, because we really do want to hear how you're get, you know, your responses here. But we've also got some responses as well around what's happening here because there's so much guidance that's being given out to teachers around their female qualities as well and around appearance because this is something that really needs to be shifted because that those conversations are happening with our teachers. So if you have any experiences that you've encountered around behaviour management, please do share those with us as well. So we're looking forward to having our conversation with Nikki Cunningham-Smith, who will hopefully be joining us um, live in the studio to answer some of your scenarios a little bit later. So another of those conversations that we've had from experience that I have encountered that I'm very comfortable sharing with you is conversations around appearance. So um, I know that um, other TT radio hosts have discussed dress code for teachers now, I've worked in schools where there have been conversations around dress code, certainly around no leather, no denim, but also around the idea of female teachers, uh, women teachers not wearing uh, dress in the classroom that reveals, I always, I always remember conversations around no armpits, no, no bellies, boobs or bums was always our dress code. I think the point being no short shorts, but also around this concept of appropriate dress being in the dress staff code of conduct. But conversely, I've also overheard and also personally received conversations around dress in the sense that if you can dress in a certain way, that actually this can support behaviour management. And this is a conversation that I have with Nikki, and that's around the use as a woman teacher of high heels. And I'd be really interested if any other listeners have experienced this as well, with the idea of using high heels as a way to establish yourself. Now, I'm a tall woman, so actually I'm able to use my height. However, 
I have still been advised to wear high heels because this allows me to have my my presence known as I walk down the corridor, but also as a way of establishing myself in terms of my shoulders back, allowing myself at the front of assembly or at the front of a classroom to be able to establish my presence. I don't understand how wearing high heels allows me to have better behaviour management. What do you think? Please do tell me. It just seems like such an archaic concept. But is this something that you've heard? Because I know having had conversations with friends, this is something that's been heard before. But I also know from experience that as the head teacher of a, a school for children with highly complex social, emotional and mental health needs, the first thing I did was get rid of the high heels. And I used to wear Doc Martens simply because I needed comfortable shoes. And it was absolutely the first thing. And, oh, fantastic. One of our callers, one of our listeners has shared, I wear heels for assembly and lining pupils up just to help me be seen better at the back. Absolutely. And as Nikki Cunningham-Smith will share, she worked with a head teacher who underneath her desk would have a selection of shoe boxes. And when she went in for meetings, the head teacher, the first thing she would do would be to kick off her heels and put on her Ugg boots. I've also worked with a deputy head who would wear heels, walk straight into her office and put on her slippers. So it's something about I have never, ever worked with a male head teacher or a male, any male teacher who has walked into his office or his classroom and taken off his shoes and put on a different pair of shoes, apart from PE teachers. And yet you have a shoe cupboard in your office. I used to have a selection of shoes in my car. So yeah, so we have this. And I think it's something that's just become accepted throughout our careers that we have as uh, women teachers, that we have this selection of shoes. And I know that after after the pandemic, when I was working from after, after the pandemic, I apologize. I take that back. After working from home during uh, periods of lockdown, my feet, I don't know what happened to them. Um, but having gone back to schools, um, my feet started to scream at me, what are you doing to me? And socially, I definitely can't go back to how it was. But professionally, my feet simply will not accommodate um, going back to the way it was. I have to say, it simply will not accommodate that. But male leaders, male teachers, do you have a shoe cupboard in your office? Do you have an area in your car that's designated for shoes? I'd love to know. Because as women leaders, as women teachers, there's definitely a commonality there. But this is something around presence, about engendering gravitas, about behaviour management as well, that may be unique to women. And we don't talk about it often. It's just something that we have moving through. I think the same thing as well is around makeup and presentation. And I have gone into work before, I'll be honest. I think it was an exhaustion thing, but I went in with only one eye made up. I looked very much clockwork orange, but I have gone in with just one eye made up. And I have um, very, very blonde hair and it was quite pronounced and I had to just pretend that I had conjunctivitis coming because I didn't have any makeup with me. It was quite the look, but I had to just go with it. But it is something that we also have as almost like our armory. And I, it takes time onto our day, but it's just another element. I talk a lot around behavior management of 
taking on a role. I know that for me, it's very much around for behavior management, I play a role in the schools that I work in. And that is hugely important for me around my own self-protection, because it's very important when I have to de-escalate an incident, when I have to work with a, with, a, with a child who is very much in distress and who has been through incredible trauma. I have to work with a member of staff who is who requires a challenging conversation and is really struggling themselves to de-escalate their own emotions in that moment. And it's really important for me that I'm not Lizzie and that I am playing a role so that I can detach myself personally in that moment. And so I think for me, putting on that costume and that includes that makeup and as, and as you said there, your war paint, I do think it's really important for me. But why as a woman do I need to put on those high heels, which cause me physical discomfort, and that war paint that aggravates my skin, that underneath a mask causes me a rash, that underneath a mask clogs my skin, that adds an additional 20 minutes to my day, that creates so many complexities when I have to keep them. Absolutely, I'm the same. I always kept a makeup bag in my drawer too. It adds an additional expense. I often wonder when I'm having to go and buy some Charlotte Tilbury, whether or not I can claim it on my, on my you know, tax rebate. Obviously, I don't have to buy Charlotte Tilbury. I, I often go to Superdrug, let's be frank, but I prefer to go somewhere nice as a, as a teacher treat. But, you know, I have, I think about, do I have like, um, I worry, have I got a spare makeup bag in my drawer as well? Am I going to have pupils make comments if I go into school and my appearance is a certain way? Is that going to draw negative attention towards me from pupils? Because that is also something that as a woman teacher, I have experienced. I don't think that's unique that we as teachers draw negative comments from pupils, which impacts on our behavior management. Do I think that women draw more negative comments than male teachers? I do. And I would be interested to hear from my listeners whether or not you think that women teachers draw more negative comments than male teachers. So call in, text in, please tell me. Do you think that we that we as women teachers draw more negative comments? Because as a female, I have um, been teaching for around 20 years and I have um, experienced um, considerable commentary around um, around this. And as, as, as Carla says, I go into school without my makeup on and they say, Miss, are you OK? And it's not just from pupils as well. If I go into the staff room without makeup on, oh, God, you look tired. Oh, are you okay? Oh, you do look, oh, you do look unwell. And actually, that's just me naturally. So actually, am I putting on, am I putting on my costume to make others feel better about my well-being? Because we have this sense in teaching about wearing these shields of bravery because we keep going, don't we? How many of us as teachers go into school even when we know we're ill because teaching is literally the only job where it is harder to have a day off ill than to actually turn up 
because we know how hard it is to send in cover work. We know how hard it is often to make that call in to the cover supervisor or to the cover network, however it works in your school or trust. So it's often easier to turn up, especially now when you may be in a scenario where if you're ill, you're still there's still an assumption that you're going to teach the lesson at home, even if you are unwell and really you just need a day to rest. So when we turn up and actually we are in our natural state, it really is quite shocking for people what you do look like. Jenny, thank you for sharing this. I'm a huge Hillary Clinton fan. Um, I was actually reading some of her posts on Instagram yesterday. Um, Jenny, thank you. And you know, I love a book recommendation. My, t- my to be read pile for half term is, is, um, is spreading into summer 2022 at the moment. Jenny shares, I read Hillary, Cl- Hillary Clinton's book, What Happened. Now, all, all you've got me already because the phrase what happened is something that people ask me <laughs> when I turn up sometimes and I haven't spent time on my on my makeup or I haven't actually spent that extra time planning what I'm going to wear the next day. She wrote a section on the amount of time she had to spend every day on her hair, makeup and wardrobe compared to her male competitors. Yeah, it's, I bet it was fascinating. One of the best things I did as a head teacher was I took the Steve Jobs approach to my clothing and I went to I think I can name a shop I think I can name a shop I went to Uniqlo and I bought the same jumper in five different colors and I lit uh, I think I just bought a crew neck jumper in five different colors and I had them lined up in my wardrobe and just wore the same jumper with different blazers and I had my blazers in my office this is so boring but and I just rotated my jumpers washed them every day and rotated them because I had to remove that cognitive load of deciding what to wear every day. And I went with the classic of um, what you have on a night out, black trousers and a nice top. Because the, the concept of having to decide every day what we wore as a woman teacher was just one more thing that I couldn't, I didn't want to have to think about. So hopefully our male listeners this morning are thinking, what, what is going through your heads, women? Or male teachers, you know, please tell me, is this something you're also battling with? Or women teachers, are you listening and thinking, I have never, ever, ever thought this? Or non-binary teachers, are you listening and thinking, I, I also have this difficulty, but I don't, I define myself as non-binary. And please tell me, please share your experiences. Um, and how does this affect behaviour management in the classroom, your appearance? Because it does have a huge impact on how we, you know, how we feel about ourselves and how others perceive us. In terms of how this impacts on behaviour management, I think in a working in an organisation with pupils, I think as Carla shared here, working in a school with a uniform, absolutely, that does make it so much easier. And I think having worked in a school which has even a branded coat, that has made mornings so much easier in terms of arriving and that anxiety around just that morning meet of arriving and having 
that time just to have those 10 minutes where you're you're most heightened around how people are going to greet you perceive you look you up and down now when people are looking you up and down it could just be because that's what people tend to do when they first see somebody they just take in the whole person unfortunately within our own psyche we are by nature very um, self-absorbed because that's how humans are and we assume because we are feeling incredibly vulnerable is that we assume that they're doing that because they are judging us. The likelihood is we are all by nature just worrying about ourselves and they're not judging you, they're thinking about themselves. And um, But when we've got that work coat on, actually that gives us that security blanket. Oh, I'm loving the fact that listeners are saying they love a uniform. Wouldn't it be so great? Um, yeah, also saying this is you too. You have a wardrobe of black skirts and trousers enough for two weeks. If I'm too tired to iron one weekend, that was me too. Yeah. Then another of school jumpers and shirts to put with them. Absolutely me too. My weekend wardrobe is in the spare room to take the choice or think time of searching through things away. Now, that is a genius idea. I love the idea of actually removing the element of choice because ultimately this is all about cognitive load. And it's about just taking one more thing away. These are teacher life hacks, people. Um, this is fantastic. And I, do you know what? I do the same for my daughter. She has one of those fancy dress racks in her bedroom. She's eight years old. And she has a fancy dress rack in her bedroom, which has just got her uniform lined up when I'm organized enough to get it ready. And she has a uniform there. And then she has a little wardrobe next to her, which has fun clothes in Oh, listen, Jenny, you are winning here. What a fantastic text. I went to see a stylist and they put together a work wardrobe for me. You are living the dream. And I remember a um, a great friend of mine went to Bentles in, in Kingston. And I know John Lewis. Listen, if you've got time at half term, John, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Next level. And Jenny says, best thing you ever did. So um, John Lewis and we're getting mega posh here. John Lewis and a lot of department stores, if you book a personal shopping appointment for free, they will go through and they will pick out outfits for you. This is teachers living the dream here. And they'll pick, if you tell them in advance that you give them all your details and they will pick out work. I hadn't even considered the idea of doing that for work uniforms. Okay, this is half, this is if I can get childcare, this is my half term getting sorted here. Um, or Christmas, or this would be great if you can factor this in for some proper well-being time. Because I know it's about work, but actually, if you could say, this is my, because you, you give them your budget. Jenny, this is such a fantastic idea. You give them your budget, you think about clothes, and actually, you can then, oh, I love this. Oh, someone's got a 50, yeah, John Lewis voucher for your birthday, wonder if you'll cover it. Um, yeah, I think, you're, do you know what, they've got a sale on. Um, I'd like to say if anyone from John Lewis is listening today and they'd like to contribute some vouchers to Teachers Talk Radio, we'd like to actively promote. There are other department stores available. Um, but I think that's such a great way of, of just making the process a little bit more enjoyable. Now, going back to the point, although I'm always happy to talk about this, going back to the point, about 20 years ago when I first started teaching, I really enjoyed fashion and I really enjoyed clothes. And you know what? There were no other demands on my time in the morning. I didn't have caring responsibilities as a carer for a parent. I didn't have a brother 
who also, in his own little way, now if he's listening to this, demands my time, even though he lives in New Zealand, but also demands my time. Because I know that whilst as teachers, not all of us have children, I do recognise and appreciate that many of us have caring responsibilities with other relatives or neighbours, increasingly with neighbours following on from COVID. And I now have two small children. They're not very small anymore. Uh, In fact, one of them, it's their birthday today. So I had a lot more time on my hands, although oddly, I don't know what I was doing with it. I think I spent a lot of it probably thinking about what I was going to wear that day or sleeping. But I did enjoy fashion. And I was also, thank you, happy birthday. I was also given the advice that, and the expectation, because I never, I do know I was given explicit advice to dress a certain way. We were told that women um, should wear ideally skirt suits. We had to wear a blazer. Um, We had to wear suits. There was an expectation that we wore heels. No female teachers wore flats at all, unless they were wearing ballet pumps. And I couldn't wear ballet pumps. I've just not built for a ballet pump. Um, And so I enjoyed them. The challenge came with the comments that would come, particularly from year 10 and year 11. And this is a conversation that I have had with Nikki. And the comments would come particularly from year 10 boys. Comments around, particularly when I was an NQT, now known as early career teachers. In fact, when I was an NQT, I was known as a probationary teacher, showing my age. And... The comments would come when I was um, bending over at um, the at the front of the class, and the boys were talking. And I said, I asked them very foolishly why they were why they were talking. I mean, behaviour management one hundred and one is don't ask why they were talking because you end up getting into that dialogue. We don't need to know why they're talking; just need to stop talking. And they told me that they were trying to work out what kind of knickers I was wearing. Now the toxic masculinity that oozes from every element of that. When I look back on the 23 year old woman standing at the front of that class of 30 young men and women horrifies me. And I did, I mean, I, I just flooded with shame in that moment. And I just didn't have the capacity or the skills or the scaffolding to manage that situation. And nothing happened. I managed it to the best of my ability using the very, very limited training that I had around behavior management. I essentially stood up and told them off because all I had was to tell them off and tried to manage it through. And the best I could do really, because I didn't want to lose that class, because I was taught that it was really important to keep relationships going was to almost make a joke out of it. So you tell them off and then make a joke out of it because I was so frightened of losing relationships. And fast forward, and nothing was done around the concept of toxic masculinity because I didn't know about toxic masculinity. I had no knowledge of that. I was just really frightened, if I'm honest, looking back. And I was wearing skirts. I was wearing pencil skirts, as was the fashion at the time. And I was wearing shirts. 
I was also hyper conscious of the fact that I needed to go to another well-known department store. I'll name them for parity, Marks and Spencers. And I knew that I had to buy a special type of bra, a t-shirt bra, so that as best as can, I remember buying bras and saying to the fitter, I have to have a padded bra, a t-shirt bra, so that no one can see my nipples. I have to have a vest. I have to have this. I remember being so hyper-conscious of my body as a female teacher because I could, I wanted to try and minimize every element of my femininity. And that must have come from a place of shame and fear. I do not remember having any support in that classroom. I do not remember there being any climate or culture where I had any support. I remember there being no conversation with those boys around their behavior. But I remember me moderating my clothing I remember me feeling fear and shame. And if I can do anything here, and I know that Nikki would do the same, I want to use my platform for to say to every woman and every man listening and every non-binary person listening and every, um, every person who identifies as a woman to say, this is not about your body. This is not about your appearance. This is about the person making the comments and their behavior and their response to your appearance. So it's also about the structures in place in the school to support you. This is toxic masculinity. This is about your behavior. And this is about behavior management. Because Nikki also shares stories about comments that have been made to her and comments around appearance. And this is this is common, you know, this is this is clearly something that's coming up in the chat here from listeners. Um, yes to the t-shirt bra. Um <laughs> my underwear drawer. I love this comment from a listener. Sorry for laughing. My underwear drawer became so ugly when I became a teacher. I'm laughing. I'm so sorry to my husband and I have been together for 20 years. 20 years. I'm so sorry to him. A long time. We moved, we met at university. My un- <laughs> my underwear drawer is only beige, beige and black t-shirt bras. That is the biggest overshare. <laughs> Short of me talking about smear tests, that is probably one of the biggest overshares on TT Radio. It's true. Um, but also, you know, this is it. We're having this is also about what because it's not just about what we are told to wear it's also about what our body shapes enable us to wear as well Libby sharing got told off at an interview for wearing a cardigan well first of all you're at an interview and are you comfortable in yourself can you be yourself are you smart um and Tandy I'm I'm pronouncing your name Tandy because I adore that name and it reminds me of a very beautiful actress so Tandy I hope I've pronounced your name correctly um, you had you wore long cardigans due to body shape, and um, I love long cardigans. Um, also, yet yeah, trouser suits in the first few years as a teacher, in an attempt to look like a teacher, as you look so young, and also to try and cover up. Now, Nikki talks about this. Moving on, and in terms of behaviour management, one of the things that we talk about, and you hit on it here, is this idea of behavior management as a woman and this concept of how much we try to create a this masculine approach to behavior management so this idea I wear trousers for work the majority of the time 
um, following on from an experience uh, about two years later, following on from the knicker incident. And the knicker incident wasn't the only one. There were a number of them. And I tried to laugh them off until I had the confidence in the structures later, a lot later on in my career, actually, to realize that, that wasn't okay. And Nikki talks about how much of our approach in behavior management do we apply as women that is making ourselves more masculine in our approach. And I do, I'm, I'm really intrigued to, to look a bit more into how that, whether how much of that is true, because it's really, really fascinating, that concept. Because when we're looking at that, um, a little later in my career, I was wearing, again, a skirt at another school. And at that point, I was a head of lower school. And one of the pupils was staring at my shoes. They were shiny, lovely patent round show high heels. And I said, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come on, let's go. And he said, oh, miss, I'm just staring at your shoes, trying to see if I can see the reflection of your knickers in them. And again, for fear of want, of not wanting to lose the class, hey, you know, this, this, this fear of relationships again, and moving along i just want to say relationships we have to remember that we are the adult in the room we have to remember that i mean this was a long time ago this was over 15 years ago for me and i've spent a lot of time researching behavior i've spent a lot of time working with some incredible experts in behavior i've spent a lot of time studying psychology as well and yeah you're right it was gross i also have spent a lot of time in researching relationships and rapport and as Nikki will say we need to establish rapport rather than relationships relationships come with time but the key is rapport for behavior management and the waiter in a restaurant can establish good rapport in a matter of moments we need to remember that we're the adult in the room at all times and our children need and our pupils in our class whatever age we need to remember that they need our boundaries and they need to learn from us they're constantly testing with us those boundaries and before I go too far toxic masculine masculinity again that's another example and that school has a strong behavior for learning policy and behavior management policy but again I should have had the confidence to quickly draw on that and that wasn't in place at the time and I hope now that there's a culture um, in that school that would tackle that. I know that there is actually, I know that school very well and I know that there would be. But it's around having the confidence now to understand that those comments are entirely inappropriate. So going back to the comment here about trouser suits, um, Nikki talks in our conversation about, we talked about how some of the strategies that we use as women enable us to almost become more masculine in our approach. Now, I've, I've been really fortunate as a child to have been encouraged to go to performing arts school and I to help with my confidence, um, which apparently worked. But um, one of the strategies that I learned and um, supported me because I also teach drama is around the use of voice and stature. And I know that one of the strategies that Nikki uses, which she may go on to talk about, and she talks about this in her book, Feel Free to Smile, is about lowering your voice. And Nikki talks very much about how, as teachers, when as women teachers, female, well, teachers who identify as female, we can, in order to manage behaviour, or particularly when we're in a large group or assembly, 
we lower our voice. And perhaps as part of that, that is about that approach to appear more masculine. I'm not suggesting that if we wear trousers, that's because we're trying to look more masculine. Often for me, it was because I needed pockets. Don't get me started on that. But very much, I know for me, that lowering of my voice was absolutely key um, in situations. And also my presence and my stature is absolutely key as well. So standing firm, and this so much of this I learned through lots of work with alternate provisions, lots of work around um, with pupils with social, emotional and mental health needs in terms of stature. So I'm really key, I'm really keen if anyone has any experience in that, um, to sort of look at those, because one of the other elements of that conversely is to look at whether or not male teachers or teachers who identify as male can actually benefit from some of the more female um, qualities or qualities that would be identified as female from women teachers and those different skills. And this sort of, those different attributes that can come from teachers um, and our concerns about how we present ourselves links in with almost one of, kind of links in with this idea of um, trying to, sometimes we worry too much about being all things to all people, I think, um, and about how we present ourselves. And this links in with one of the sponsors of our show, which is Mal CPD. Now, if you struggle with people-pleasing and find it is a constant battle to manage different and difficult personalities, then why not challenge and empower your team through the MAL CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course. Alternatively, gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and Emotionally Intelligent Leader course. All MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. And you can find out more about these courses and much, much more at www.malcpd.com. And if you have been paying keen attention to our Twitter feed recently, you will know that um, on Libby's show this week, there is a fantastic show about phonics delivery. So please, please, please do go back onto the Podbean, at, onto the Teachers Talk radio website and you can download Libby's show. It was on Tuesday night this week and um, you'll see Libby is quoting the, the, um, the Zeus quote, one of my favourite quotes. I think I've used that in lots and lots of insert um, because one of the sponsors of, the, of this show is Oxford University Press. I know I've used Oxford University Press for lots and lots of um, courses. Um, and Oxford University Press don't just talk about phonics. They have been on um, involved recently. They've been involved in a course around well-being. So particularly if we're talking here around behaviour management, well-being is a key part of this. So after you finish listening to this show, don't forget to go back onto the Teacher Talk radio website and download Libby's show, because if you download it, you've got it there and you can listen to it later on your drive home from school or whilst you're doing your PPOA. Let's hope you're not her. Whilst you're doing your PPOA or a little bit later, because you can download the TT radio shows and you've got it whenever you need them. It's fantastic. I've got a lot of uh, driving to do later on today. So I'm going to be listening to Sobia's show from the weekend. 
Now, if you do need support, as we've said around um, phonics teaching, Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you. They've got Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. And you can find out more about these programmes and receive support from your Oxford University Press expert, local educational consultant, and you can visit www.oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics to find out more. And like I said, you can download all of the previous shows um, by going to teacherstalkradio.com and you can find out more there. And um, whilst we're on the topic of Libby, she had some cracking history guests on recently. Um, there's been some amazing ones, and that links us nicely to another of our show's sponsors, which is the History Hotline podcast. The History Hotline is the hottest line for all things black history and beyond, a space to have honest conversations about black history and how it impacts the world we live in. The History Hotline podcast explores some of the facets of black history ignored by the mainstream, your teachers and the textbooks. Check out the podcast by following the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. So I've given you a lot of work to do there. Please keep yourself busy because we all know that social media and um, connecting through Teachers Talk Radio, there's almost 8,000 educational professionals from across the world already connecting with Teachers Talk Radio um, on Twitter. And we have so many subscribers via our website who are benefiting from the incredible resources that we send out via our newsletter. So don't forget to join us and connect with our wider network. So we've been talking this morning about behaviour management um, with a particular focus on women. We've gone through wardrobes, we've talked about makeup, we've even pretty much sorted out your personal shopping needs um, this morning. But we've really, I think it's really key that we're talking here about making sure that in all of our schools that there is a, a real clarity around culture and climate uh, for behaviour management. We need to ensure that all teachers, regardless of gender, understand what the behaviour for management policy is. That as a even as a cover teacher, as somebody as a visitor going into a school, that every single person that steps foot in that school building has clarity around the expectations for behaviour, so that together we can all work together as allies. We can work together to support each other to combat toxic masculinity, because that's one of the key aspects that we've been talking about. Many of these issues that we've talked about are historical, particularly around comments around women's appearance, uh, particularly of a sexual nature. But is that because there's such an aspect of shame around disclosing them? Now, I'm able to talk confidently about these, these incidents because 15 years has passed since they happened. I'm able to talk confidently about them because of my status um, and hierarchy gives, we know within teaching there's a hierarchy. Now, hopefully that hierarchy in many multi-academy trusts is shifting from 
towards a hierarchy of competence. And I love that concept of a hierarchy of competence because now I tend to sit in meetings, executive meetings, where I'm sitting in a room with people on a diverse, on a diverse range of, of levels within a school hierarchical structure because I want people within meetings with me who've got who actually are going to give me the best advice as opposed to they've got the best label or best title. However, we know that, sadly, we know that hierarchy brings a feeling of security. And as an early career teacher, it can feel really, really vulnerable being in a classroom when you have year 10 boys or in a primary school, it can feel really vulnerable when you've got year six boys who are making comments on your appearance. And that's why it's really important that we are allies for each other, because it's not just about women. We have to be allies for each other. But listeners, call in, text in, tell me, have you experienced this? Have you witnessed this? Have you been an ally for somebody who has experienced these comments based upon their gender? What more needs to be done? Because we know that we're not just there. Have you been catcalled in school? Have you had an experience where somebody has catcalled you or wolf whistled you in the playground? Because I've seen it happen and I've called pupils out on it. We know that it happens. I've been given uh, behaviour management advice where I was told, do you know what? If you're in a year 11 class and the boys aren't really paying attention, one way to get their attention is just flirt with them. It's a really good behaviour management strategy. Is just imagine that you're flirting with them. And like when I was talking to Nikki, I said, I'm really not sure, like, do I wink at them? Like, do I put in some witty bants? Like, I've been married for a long time. I'm not even sure how to flirt. Like, putting aside the fact that that is essentially illegal, inappropriate and grooming behaviour, I don't even know how to flirt. It really concerns me that some of this advice is being put out there into the ether. So tell me. What have you heard? What have you been told? What have you experienced? Men, have you have you ever been told to flirt in a class? Because even saying those words out loud actually makes me feel like I need an acid shower. But looking at behaviour management and the data that's out there as well is really fascinating. If we look at some of the data that's coming through TeacherTap, I'm going back to 2019 here, because looking at the data from 2019 on TeacherTap, Teachers really care about disruptive behaviour when they are looking at which schools to go to. And I'm interested, listeners, if you're going to a school and you're looking for a new job, and I know at the moment a lot of teachers are talking about their challenges, but there is not a lot of turbulence at the moment around movement between schools. And a lot of the time the data would suggest that that's because teachers are just too exhausted to consider moving schools teachers are feeling a sense of guilt around leaving their school as well and there simply aren't a lot of jobs going and that's because one thing leads into the other now thank you for thank you for this comment culture can be difficult too sometimes people this is from a listener sometimes people don't realize what has been said is wrong due to the language used as we often speak a different cultural language to our students this is absolutely key I've worked in very challenging schools in Hounslow, in Richmond, where most of our pupils came from Wandsworth, Putney, Tootin, um, Hammersmith and Fulham. And I grew up in Lancashire. And I'll be honest, 
I need I pretty much needed to I'm a languages teacher but I, I felt like I was constantly evolving my language moving from Hounslow to Richmond which is you know you get a bus you I had to learn a completely new dialect and I had to learn a completely new language just moving from one part of London to another part of London and that is where we need to ensure that we've got diversity amongst our staff we need to make sure that we have allies um, supporting, mentoring our not only our pupils, but also our new staff. So when we have a staff, a new member of staff joining us, I not only was I coming into a new area, but I was coming into a brand new set of language. Because I know that, and Ros, I think it's Ros Wilson, please correct me if I'm wrong, Ros Wilson on Twitter is it Ros Wilson? Someone's going to tell me if I'm wrong. Does a great amount of work on dialect. And I know that if somebody came into um, a school in Preston where I grew up and they were they did their training in London or even in Yorkshire. Well, crikey, I hope they didn't come from Yorkshire to Lancashire. That would be tough for them. But it would be really difficult to understand some of the language we used. And Ros is really great at talking about the dialogue, dialect changes but you're absolutely right. And it's, but it's not just verbal cultural language. I came to Hounslow and moved to Richmond and I had never heard of the concept of kissing your teeth. I'd just never heard of it. I didn't, didn't know what it meant. I, and that brought around for me some very, very challenging behavior situations because I did not, didn't know what it was. And I grew up in an extreme, in an area with a completely different um ethnic diversity so I had not there were no children at my school when I grew up who came from um the Caribbean or came from Africa none um and I just had a completely different experience of diversity as a child and as a young adult um even at university I went to the University of St Andrews and my experience was just so myopic and even moving from Hounslow through to Richmond and then to Suffolk, those shifts were just so completely different. And tell I tell you what, moving to moving to Suffolk, <laughs> moving to Suffolk, I thought, you know what, I'm going to be like the Doc Martin of education. I'm just going to be wearing barber wellies. Um, is it barber? No, thank you. I need to get to myself to that John Lewis for that shopping. I'm going to wear my hunter wellies and a barber jacket. It's going to be it's going to be so lovely. I'm just going to be like Doc Martin, but teaching, not performing medical examinations. And I had such a shock because we have le three lower super output areas just in the demographic of my school alone, where I was working at the time. And I had never experienced rural disadvantage like it. And not only that, but the cultural language was so alien to me again and a completely different um uh socioeconomic area just the whole thing was completely different but absolutely if we can get more support around the cultural language for our staff that are joining us and support them with that behavior management but also joining those two schools and the diversity and the change from Hounslow and Richmond but as a white woman um walking in and the assumptions that I made in those two schools I made so many mistakes so many mistakes I look back on with shame 
um, because I knew nothing. And the the culture and diversity, um, the knowledge that I needed to support behaviour management was vast. I had zero training. I had zero knowledge and understanding. And that point that you have made there is so key because it never, ever came up on my PGCE, just not even a concept. It never came up on my NQT training. Even my NQT training was delivered by the school. It never came up as even an as, as even an idea or a concept that I need to consider. So please, um, thank you for sharing that because schools leaders, if you're listening, please can you include that because it's just absolutely. Is there anything? Is well, I don't want to say is there anything more important because as teachers, there's often things. But at the, I'd like to say I wish somebody had, had talked to me and shared with me shared with me that understanding and um, just explain things to him because I just knew nothing also matters as simple as helping to understand how important hair is to black girls I just would have handled so many situations so much better okay let's go back to talking about disruptive behavior Um, and that is one of the reasons why I love doing this show because I learn so much from our listeners as well so thank you for that okay um, so talking about how much teachers really care about disruptive behaviour when they are looking to move schools or looking to go for their first posting as an early career teacher. Now, as I say, this is teacher tap data back from 2019. So their data then, and of course, something's happened in the past year and a half, in case you haven't noticed it, so that will influence things. But when given the option between um, their data here looks at, you're moving to a new area, so you must find a new job. There are two options. The first school has a low workload culture where teachers all leave without marking by 4.30pm. However, in your tour of the school, you could see quite a bit of student disruption in class. The second school has impeccable behaviour, but teachers you meet admit they tend to have to work very long hours. Which school would you choose? And interestingly, according to the teacher tap data, um, interestingly or not interestingly, you tell me, 66%, according to teacher tap, 66% chose longer work areas, but longer, longer work hours, but impeccable behavior. What would you choose, listeners? Would you choose longer work hours, but impeccable behavior, or short work hours? With disruptive behavior and you know the analysis of that data really is about the toil of dealing with bad behavior in lessons can be so draining that teachers would prefer to do anything else in longer hours to compensate for it because I know for experience one lesson you know 50 minutes or however long your lessons are some lessons can be an hour and a half that can just railroad an entire day but if you've got low level disruption, which is for me, low level disruption is, is bad behavior, is, you know, that lesson's written off because people aren't learning. If you've got challenging behavior in every lesson, every day, the toil that takes on your well being is, 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 a, is a fast track to burnout. Absolutely a fast track to burnout. And if that behavior is happening, my question would be where's the behavior for learning policy? Where's your head of department, but particularly because your head of department might be on a five period day as well. Where's the senior leadership team? 
who is working, who's walking around those corridors, where's the structure in place for you to get that support, to have a look at what's happening in your lesson. So what support do you need? What support do those pupils need? Because it could be the dynamic of that class. It could be the pupils with additional needs. It could be the curriculum. There are so many questions going on there. Let's please not ask the question, is your lesson good enough to behave? Because that's a question that was permeated throughout the early years of my career, and I won't have that. But there are so many questions, but you can't answer them on your own. You can't answer them in isolation. So it's really interesting um, for you to sort of go through that analysis. What would you choose, listeners? Would you choose short work but with disruptive behaviour? Because I know some teachers may go for that because actually some people have got really high thresholds. Or would you choose longer work hours but impeccable behaviour? And interestingly, teachers working in more affluent areas are most likely to prefer long hours over behaviour, according to their analysis as well. Um, also, teachers on social media suggested that primary schools um, don't really struggle with behaviour issues. And I know that there's that's a polarising debate that I really don't want to enter into because it's really important that as much as possible we're aligning all phases. So we're looking at aligning primary, secondary and further education as, and as much as we can. But social, according to them, disruption, according to teacher tap, actually, because there are debates and I've worked in many primary schools and I've been the head teacher of upper, upper key stage two. And I can tell you if you've ever taught year five and year six, particularly at the end of the day, there are just as many complexities around behaviour in year five and year six as there can be with year 10 and year, any year. But the developmentally, what happens within a child's brain at that stage of their of their life in year five and year six is just as profound as happens in year 10. You know, there's chemicals soaring around their bodies and their brain particularly. But actually, teacher tap data shares that disruption is just as common in primary schools as in secondary ones. And if you look at exclusion data, you'll actually find that exclusion data, if we want to do that deep dive, the exclusion data would say that you get the most amount of uh, fixed term and permanent exclusions in year six and year 10. Now, I'll let most listeners will probably know why, if you think about that. Um, but for the purpose of this, because, you know, you can text in and call in if you know the answers. I could do some cold calling. But year six, particularly um, those challenges around SATs. Historically, we've had a lot of year six. Um, it's, I would say that from a psychologist perspective, as someone who studies psychology, year six is particularly a time where there's a lot of developmental um, challenges for children around year six. Um, but also um, there's a huge amount of challenges for pupils um, aligning those developmental challenges um, with what's happening with their brains simply with the SATs and how that happens. And dare I say it in some settings, there are some challenges around exclusion figures and moves to specific settings. Um, but that's that's a debate for another time. I'll try and sit on those particular views. And with year 10, I think we, the exclusion data tends to be high for other reasons and also linked to um, external examinations as well. But there's also significant um, challenges happening neurologically for children around that age as well. So looking at, again at primary schools, disruption does seem to be just as common in primary as secondary. 
And on a fairly random Tuesday, and the date here was the 5th of February in 2019, 28% of primary compared to 31% of secondary teachers reported that their last lesson had largely stopped because of poor behaviour. So it's really interesting that often there's this desire to suggest that one phase has more challenging behaviour than the other. But when teacher tap um, does give us this breakdown of data, which is for us as teachers, actually is a really is, is the best live snapshot of data that we can get at the moment. Um, there's very little in it. And I would say as somebody who's who's led a school which has run from year five through to year eleven, I would say often the most challenging behaviour for my pupils was there's often a parallel between the year five and year six and my year 10 and year 11, and they exhibited very, very similar behaviour patterns, um, particularly on windy days. Um, some of the other data that came out of this was around behaviour being the most challenging um, for new teachers and being a particularly big deal for our new teachers with learning disrupted about half of the time. Um, and those experiencing poor behaviour in the last lesson of their day we're also much more likely to be concerned about disruption in the first lesson the next morning. And what really, really concerns me about listening to that and reading that data is that new teachers spend so much of their evenings worrying about work. And it's no wonder that so many teachers and early career teachers leave in their first years if feeling this way. And when we look at retention data, that is um, released by the DfE or released by other organisations, what we know actually is that early career teachers are not always the largest percentage of teachers to leave the workforce, but we do know because often it's the data is more pronounced between women in the age bracket between 30 and 39 who are leaving the workforce, but it's often more experienced teachers that are leaving, followed up by early career teachers but when early career teachers leave, the main reasons for early career teachers leaving tend to be around behaviour and workload. So my optimism as someone who, and I'm not biased, this genuinely does come from a place of optimism, is that with the early career framework and the training that I've seen as a visiting fellow um, and the training that I've, I've been part of, part of the team delivering, is that with mentors delivering training on behaviour, which is the first priority, the first strand for early career teachers, and actually modelling what that behaviour looks like and sort of acting it out live and rehearsing behaviour with early career teachers, I'm so optimistic that early career teachers will be able to go to their mentors and say, right, I've got this scenario this is what's happening in my year 10 class. <laughs> I do not expect them to be able to say, I've bent over and he said, what knickers are you wearing? But I do hope that early career teachers will have the courage, the climate and the culture to be able to, and also the framework through early career um, pro teacher programs, to be able to say, do you know what? I feel like there's some toxic masculinity creeping into my year 10 lessons there's a commentary happening there's a narrative that I need to combat I really need to um, combat the toxic masculinity 
that is in this classroom, how can you help me establish some routines? How can you help me script this situation? And the mentor has some resources through the Educare framework and they can support that. And if that mentor is unsure of how to respond to that situation, that mentor can go and seek guidance from their visiting fellow and the visiting fellow can help them script it. And I really hope that there will be additional capacity, but it starts with culture and it starts with climate. And it's really important that that the people here listening, that we are those allies and that we have that culture and climate. And if anyone listening um, wants to read a really good book about culture and climate, I strongly recommend Sam Strickland's book. And I talk, I use this quote all of the time, you promote what you permit and you permit what you promote. And that is my absolute favourite quote around around behaviour and for leaders at every single level. Um, you know, it's absolutely key. If you're walking down a corridor and a pupil walks past something really minor, but if you don't get the small things right, you're never going to tackle the big things. If you walk down the corridor and a pupil's got their shirt hanging out, the tie hanging out, the chewing gum, and they've got the headphones in, if the school rules in your school are that shirts must be tucked in, ties up, no headphones in the corridor and no chewing gum, and you walk past and you don't tackle that behaviour, and you can do that in a really, really pleasant way, and you can stop the pupil and have a really pleasant conversation, and as Paul Dix would always say, just keep walking. You don't have to stand there, loom over them and have a confrontation with them. You can say, took your shirt in, mate, and keep walking. But you don't need to say, mate, that's a bit cringy. You can say, took your shirt in, Tom, because you'll know the names of all your pupils if you can, and keep on walking. Or you can say, headphones in your pocket or chewing them in the bin, your priority. Or you can engage them in a positive conversation and say, ah, oh, Tom, how are you doing? How, was, how, was, how did Chelsea get on last night? And then you can engage that conversation and then you can say, whilst you're here, took your shirt in and um, should we pop that chewing gum in the bin? And then you keep on walking. The next time, if you catch them again, then you can take that conversation and you can do it. You will have the same outcome, but both of you will leave that conversation with a more pleasant start to your day. So it's about having that culture, that climate, but it's about making sure that every single person in that organization is promoting and aligning with those values. Now, I think you've, abs- before talking about promoting those values, what I want to do is I can see that Nikki has joined us um, in the studio. Um, she is somebody that has absolutely inspired me. And she is somebody that, um, is someone I would consider an extremely strong and compassionate person and has given me absolute strength um, over the past, I think I met Nikki about a year ago, maybe, I'm not sure, but she is somebody who I would consider an incredibly, I'm going to embarrass her, but emotionally intelligent person. She's going to come on and talk to you. Whilst I'm talking for the next few minutes, I want you to listen to, definitely listen to some of the information from our sponsors. But if you have any questions or scenarios for Nikki, please do share them in our chat. Um, I'm going to get Nikki to call in in a moment, ask Nikki, pardon me, but I'm just going to share some information because if you are concerned about how you might have those conversations with a member of staff in your school or a leader and you're struggling with how you might have ask for help, 
or struggling with 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 starting those conversations you might be someone who would benefit from one of the the courses that mal cpd offers and one of the sponsors of this show is mal cpd because if you struggle with people pleasing and find it's a constant battle to manage different and difficult personalities then why not challenge and empower your team through the mal cpd essential coaching skills for school leaders course Alternatively, gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and Emotionally Intelligent Leader course. All of these MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management, and you can find out more at malcpd.com. And before in our talk, we were talking a lot about diversity and about the fact that I've been working at schools in Hounslow and Richmond, working with pupils from Hammersmith and Fulham, Tooting, Putney. And one of the biggest challenges I had at those schools was around my lack of total, total ignorance and naivety around their culture, uh, pupils culture, the culture of both of those schools and the diversity of both of those schools, despite being a 10 minute drive away from each other, maybe 15, maybe an hour if you drove at certain times. And it's so important that behaviour management training has respect for and gives value to the individual um, identity of the school that you're working in. And linked to that is one of the sponsors of our show, which is the History Hotline podcast. The History Hotline is the hottest line for all things black history and beyond, a space to have honest conversations about black history and how it impacts the world we live in. The History Hotline podcast explores some of the facets of black history ignored by the mainstream, your teachers and the textbooks. Check out the podcast by following the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. And lastly, I just want to share with you a big shout out to one of my co-presenters on TT Radio, who's also had some fantastic history guests on recently. But don't forget that after this show, if you've missed some of our show, want to re-listen or want to share this show with a friend or colleague, you can listen back anytime via the TT Radio website or via the Podbean app or website. And you can listen to Libby's show on Tuesday night where she gets to talk to the writers of the Oxford University Press phonics programme because one of the sponsors of this show is Oxford University Press. If you need support with your phonics teaching, Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you. Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. To find out more about these programmes and receive support from your OUP expert, local educational consultant, visit www.oxidprimary.com forward slash phonics. So without any further delay, Nikki, we'd love for you to call in. Um... And we would love to hear from you. So we're going to invite Nikki in now. Um, and we would love to hear from you. So I'm just going to invite Nikki in. And any scenarios that you've got about behaviour management, we've got a couple that have already been sent in by listeners. Um, and hopefully Nikki will be joining us in just one moment. She may have a couple of co-hosts with her at the moment. 
but what scenarios do you have any experiences and um we'll be talking to nikki also in just one moment so do bear with us just one second um and we'll be sharing them with you so just bear with us one second um thinking about um what experiences you've had have you ever had to um, moderate your appearance have you ever had to change your voice or your stature um so just bear with us one second and we'll be back with you just one moment okay hello nikki you online I, I think I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, Nikki, we can hear you. You are live on TT Radio. It's lovely to hear from you. How are you? I am pulling up in front of my house after the nursery drop-off. And, and we'll be um, taking one child out of the car. Nikki, you're amazing. And to remind everybody on TT Radio at the moment, Nikki is joining us from maternity leave, as we talked about last week. Um, this, is, um, this is total commitment, everybody. Um, Nikki is on um, maternity leave from her role as um, as an outreach behaviour expert, assistant head teacher of the referral unit. Nikki's an author, behaviour blogger for Times Education Supplement. Um, Nikki is a, a very experienced senior leader um, within behaviour support uh, behavior management as well and we're getting live insight i feel like it's challenge annika well it's, it's, and we can hear what's happening i'm literally i'm sure in a second if you hear some beeps it's because um baby has cold and baby needs bottle and we'll, we'll only uh we'll only go shape by staring the bottle down this is nikki thank you so much for joining us and if thank anyone you for has having me it's an absolute pleasure. And if anyone else knows that the cold, capital T, capital C, is going around at the moment. I've had it for about three weeks and I'm at oh. the tail end. And I noticed someone put out on Twitter or Instagram yesterday, how have we all basically got through a pandemic and now we're all suffering with the common cold? Oh, it's, it's like we've been protected for the in this bubble and the cold has been like, no one's cared about me and um, has stayed quiet for about two years and now it's gone... My turn to shine, people. I know. I know. So the cold is absolutely crucifying us. So we can hear we can hear the excitement of what life is truly like when you're on maternity leave or paternity leave, because we know that a lot of our listeners are taking paternity leave and shared um, parent leave at the moment as well. So, Nikki, are you happy if I share with you one of our scenarios that's coming from one of our listeners, Leanne? Oh, it's live happening right now. So for the, what I'm going to suggest is that if any of our listeners have, if any of our listeners have any, um, have any scenarios or if any of our listeners have any questions that they want for Nikki or for me that they can text in or they can call in at the moment and they can share with us any of those scenarios and then we can discuss them now. Now, one of the scenarios that came in from Leanne last week, Leanne is an early years foundation stage teacher and she has been working with a four-year-old girl in her class and she has requested a bit of support with one of her pupils and she has um, a, a pupil in her class who is very, very bright and she is really struggling with managing the pupil's behavior in class. And the pupil is um, 
when um, the teacher is um, issuing issuing instructions, that sounds terrible, but is trying to work with the pupil, the pupil is saying no a lot. Now, as a parent, I hear no quite a lot from both of my children, (laughs) but also that can be very challenging within a professional environment. Now, we're very conscious of the fact that pupils have been at home with parents and boundaries are very, very different and challenging, particularly when parents are either working from home or not working from home and have you know more fluid boundaries or working from home and desperately trying to homeschool the children or they're trying to homeschool different aged children don't have access to resources whereby they can homeschool the children you know there's variety of scenarios and I can definitely assure you that I'm not going to start this discussion by parent blaming because that's not where I start any discussion about behavior so no and I think I think it's that kind of I think rather that it's not parent blaming, it's the understanding of how different our last 24 months have been. Because even the build-up to the pandemic was kind of, you know, etchy as well. But I think it's interesting when, if, if kind of people's already got a barrier against learning, it almost sounds like they're saying no before they even know what they're saying no to. So yeah. I, I'd be very tempted to... Um, put an activity a hook activity together that they would potentially say no to and then they might see that they want to do it and kind of speak to them about you know at the, sometimes you're going to want to do some of the things that I'm putting in front of you and there's going to be times you don't want to do things but if you automatically shut down you're never going to know and have the opportunity to figure out what we're going to be getting on with and I think that kind of conversation and that really staged practice of setting up almost an experiment to get you know, let them see that not everything can be a no, or even even an idea of um, let's get the thesaurus out, let's find different words for the word no, and turn it into a learning, and then like different words for the word yes, and get get talking about you know why are we using no? What are you actually saying no to? What is no? Is it that you're just so anxious? about what's about to happen do you need it to be modeled by someone else how do we turn that no into a a yes I think is the is the starting point so you know unpicking why is it straight away no and that comes from investment of time with that pupil so you know maybe at their playtime break time whilst they're enjoying themselves not a punishment but just whilst they're doing their things oh let's just have a little chat and like join in with them and try and figure out what that no actually means i love that and i think it comes back to your key word is always about investment in the pupil and we've talked a little bit about corridor conversations as well and it seems to me a little bit about like that pupil maybe trying to take back some control as well of their scenario and perhaps it's around and also really i think the idea of stage practice looking at different words hello darling Different words for no, no, I love her. Um, Taking control of that situation and giving them some element of being able to take control back of some things. Absolutely. So it's it's not even that you're banning no, because no is not a negative word, but it's actually putting some definition and meaning behind that word now. Um, you know, that is a lot of, and as you said, I do love the word investment. It's a lot of behaviour management is investment. Um, we, we as teachers are so... We have to deliver a curriculum, that's why we're here. But actually, we are, I feel like we are a curriculum of, um, of people. That is part of our job. We are teachers of young children, young people, and moulding them. So taking that investment, to be like, okay, how can we turn that no into a yes, but not 
with my words but with your words I think that's very very valuable and would come into and something that might be useful for the you know for the rest of the class you know <laughs> let's let's really expand our vocabulary no matter what age we are and and get that old school thesaurus working through how do how can we find different things I think that's a really you know and that that then could even learn lend into classroom use you know when you what are the rules of our classroom we don't really want to hear that word we want to try and be really experimenting we want to figure out why it's a no what are our classroom non-negotiables okay this is great I'm writing all this down because I'm going to message her with all of these as well in case she's not able to join the call today. This is so helpful. But I love this idea. Um, I'm going to pick up on this as well, because if we teach our pupils, particularly our girls or our pupils who identify as female but or, and our boys as well, if we teach, I have to stop being gender biased in my conversations. I'm learning. If we teach our pupils that no is a negative word, where does our conversation around consent go? Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, that is absolutely key but it's about giving as you've said we give meaning to the word no for the pupil and we we go through and we say okay so first thing piece of advice for an early years uh, foundation stage teacher who's got a very bright girl who just keeps saying no 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 perhaps this is a conversation this is a, an environment around the, the child taking control back and doing some work for her around boundaries where she's had total fluidity and she might also be bored as well let's not forget yeah. Or she might have been bored for a long time. What is um, that? Why? What, what does no mean? Is the first bit I think. What? What is she? What does no mean to her? Yeah. In a sense. So what does no mean? And then get that hook activity um, that they that that, that that sort of links in, and you learn what their hook activity would be through that investment in the pupil, and and then Absolutely. doing that. Uh, going through turning that no into a yes really and expanding their vocabulary that's incredibly helpful um okay um next scenario that we've got um we've talked a lot about toxic masculinity and we've talked about those scenarios um we've got a scenario from a, um, a listener who's messaged in around um year 10 class and it's essentially it's all boys um how do they manage that situation so you've got a year 10 class, you're an early, an early career teacher, all boys, and they're just, essentially, they're intimidated. Um, they're quite, they've described themselves as being physically quite, quite petite, and it's a year 10 class, and they are a drama teacher. I think the, the fact that she's a drama teacher is perfect. And, you know, some, some of my, some of the pe uh, females that I've seen that have absolutely dominated um, a very male class have actually been drama teachers because they are trained in stature, posture, uh, projection, tone, size of body. You know, that all is part of their natural stage presence, which I do think is a real key thing when you are a teacher. You are not physically on a stage, as you are, but you need to make yourself mentally on a stage. You almost need to adopt a character. So. Um, I work with um, boys a lot, especially boys that maybe have um, a real issue with authority, let alone female authority. And I very much say to them all the time, I am the alpha male. Now, even though the language, I shouldn't be turning myself into a male to, to be the top of the, the food chain as such, but it's the, the thought process to them is in, I'm in charge, this is my space, you have come into my space to learn within my space. And when I'm in charge, 
I'm the one that's going to lead you. So even little things like when they come through the classroom door, I'm stood in the doorway so that they can't all run in five at a time. They've got to come in one at a time and they've got to say good morning to me and they've got to have eye contact with me. Just by having that initial start to lesson where they have to almost make themselves smaller to come into your classroom, you're taking a pack leader mentality from the beginning. Things like where they sit, who they sit with, the tone of what you're talking about, how you hook them immediately. You almost want to get into a position that they're not having a chance to be distracted. I think that's so important to hook those you know, boys in, boys and girls, but to get them so engaged with the lesson, they haven't got time to bounce off their peers. Or if they've come in from a really lively lesson or from break time, you're taking control from the very beginning. That can be simple as a mindfulness activity of, you know, let's just get breathing, guys, get our thoughts in the right place. You are in charge of settling their hormones, their processes, and their actions, and that is a part of the learning for them. That's why we say about that. Thanks so much, Nikki. So we've got um, we've we've got a short amount of time, but I want to try and maximise that time to get some of your top tips. If you were going to give sort of uh, this is really hard. But if you were going to give your top tips to um, a more experienced teacher who was mentoring an early career teacher this year, what would your top tips be just um, for that mentor? Put yourself back in their shoes. Um, and remember that a lot of the time when we have the control of the classroom, it's not necessarily to do with all of our capabilities and to do with the longevity that we've had in the job and the fact that our reputation does precede us. So remember what it's like when that slate is absolutely white clean and you maybe don't have the reputation to do a lot of your behaviour management for you. Um, give them books to read or people to follow or you know help them develop their network because they're not always going to be able to come to you or feel comfortable coming to you but they need to feel comfortable to be able to talk to people about when things have gone wrong or when things aren't working their way and um, also I think it's really key to give them opportunities to uh, model practice now I don't mean go and watch a teacher. I mean, give them time to maybe come to you and say, I feel like I can't get my voice to the back of the room. Do you mind standing to the back of the room and seeing how that sounds, how that is? And if they can do that, you can literally go, actually, that's a bit pitchy. Try and drop the bass in your voice, try and get them to hear. Yeah. So give them modelling opportunities that you can um, can be there for them. But more than anything, let them understand that it does take time. We are not the finished article. And I think that social media accidentally gives us that kind of, life that everything is polished and it's not if you have a five lesson day sometimes two of them aren't great and that's okay just go again tomorrow um i think those are the key points because we're not perfect but we can accidentally appear like we're the swans rather than the, the legs okay i think you're absolutely key we're not the finished article i'm i'm certainly not i'm i'm aware of i've been teaching a lot longer than some actually i've no, I haven't been teaching longer than they've been alive, thank goodness. But I'm getting I'm getting there. But we're not the finished article. And I think there's I, I remember thinking when I first watched my mentor teach when I was a NQT that they were incredible and they were the best thing ever and I'd never get there. And there's this, you know, one of the whenever you struggle with behaviour management in school, well not whenever, but often you're sent off to go and observe someone else teach. And either I remember feeling I'll never be as good as them, so I had imposter syndrome. Or I was, I was sometimes sent to someone else and their lesson was equally challenging. 
So sometimes I learned what not to do, um, yeah. but <laughs> but I often left feeling like I had imposter syndrome and it felt like, how am I ever going to achieve that? Because I'm watching you, but I still don't understand how you're doing it. It's like, this, like they had this curse of knowledge in the fact that they couldn't explain to me how they even how they even achieved that so I'm not entirely sure how helpful that was and I'm really optimistic that perhaps the early career framework is going to amend adapt that sorry you might have learned here that my daughter's learning to um has, has found a voice in the last few days she is Nikki the last the last thing that we've got time for and then I'll let you get I will I will allow you to embrace maternity leave is um your desert island disc drive um what would your three aspects or three resources it can be someone on social media it can be a book it can be a a program what three what three things or resources would you take on your desert island disc drive around behavior management um anything with bill rogers i love i love his concepts i love how he talks about people that he's worked with um it just even if you haven't been teaching long, it almost his experience builds up a really quick picture. Um, I am very much a hooks type of person, so anything that kind of is a bit fidgety for the kids whilst I'm talking, don't mean fidget spinners, but you know, anything that kind of distracts what they're doing so they can focus on me. I'm a very big fan of, of kind of using things to my advantage that I can pick up around the classroom to get them really focused. And actually, I'd, uh, I'd bring my book, Feel Free to Smile, as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there, but with a lot of amazing contributors that have, including yourself, that have you, yeah. been teaching a long time or even been teaching a very short amount of time and their experiences and, and advice off the back of that. So, yeah, that's a little sneaky little plug there, but uh, I'll take it. I'll take what I can. Uh, that's amazing, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki, I'm going to say a huge thank you. Keep in touch. And thank you so much to you and baby for coming and joining us. You take care Thanks. of yourself. And I hope that cold goes day. away. Take care, you <laughs> my lovely. Bye. So thank you so much for joining us today on TT Radio and for sharing your contributions. Do continue to contribute via social media. If you didn't catch all of today's show, remember that you can listen back via the Podbean app or via TT Radio. And do keep in touch around any other ideas or content for our show. We look forward to hearing from you. And we look forward to seeing you again on the next TT Radio Breakfast Show.